Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here with us. Those of you gathered in the room, we're uh, glad that you're with us, uh, participating online. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Uh, we like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you very much. We believe that that's true, that God is with us as we gather together to worship him. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's continue the prayer that we've started with these songs. God, we are so grateful for the love you have shown us in Jesus Christ and the ways that you are redeeming all things. You are taking the brokenness and the death that we experience even here and now, and you are you're bringing your healing. You're bringing your life. You've, you've entered into this broken world in your son, Jesus Christ. He experienced every ugly bit of it so that your life could be present there in the middle of it, so that, so that you could pour your grace and your life into our mess today. Thank you, God. Thank you for your redeeming work, your restoring work that you invite us to be a part of. You invite us to be a part of the change you are making in the world as, as we refuse to continue down the path, that, uh, that destructive path of, of self-seeking, of returning evil for evil, of... of of blaming other people for our own problems, refusing to admit when we need your help. God, you have, you've gotten us off of that path. You've saved us from that kind of life that leads to death. You've grabbed a hold of us by your Holy Spirit and you have shown us a better way to live in Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for inviting us into this all things new kind of life as you do your transforming work in us. And then you continue that transforming work through us, impacting the world as we just admit our need of your help. We get to model for others uh, what it looks like when people acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that we need the help of the God who made us, the God who loves us. So help us, God, to be honest with you and honest with ourselves honest with each other. Help us to receive your grace, to receive your forgiveness, to receive your love. We thank you. We praise you for all of your goodness, all of your grace. God, just thinking back over this past week, we can think of ways, uh, each one of us in our lives, we can think of ways that you have been good to us, God. Help us not to get so bogged down in our, in our problems, in the negative parts of life, that we fail to recognize your goodness to us. Help us to see it. Help us to thank you for it. God, we've got some neighbors uh, that are really struggling right now. I'm mean, just reading this morning about the, the wildfires in California and, and there are hurricanes on their way to the coast. And, and God, you know all the troubles that we face here in this world. We pray for those who today are struggling, uh, who are worried about whether the fire is going to come to their neighborhood, who are worried about how bad the damage is going to be when the hurricanes hit. And God, we've got people, neighbors, brothers and sisters around the world living in the midst of violence, in the midst of chaos. God, we thank you that you are present with us in the midst of the storms of life, that no matter how bad it gets, you don't abandon us. You don't leave us but you are present there. So I pray, God, that you would help all of our brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends, all those folks that, that we see on the news who today are wondering, is God here? 
well, how am I going to make it through this? God, I pray that you would step right into their life today, right now. That you would speak to their hearts and minds. That you would give them a sense that, that the God who made them loves them too. And that you are with them and that you're going to see them through. God, I pray that you would take some of, the, uh, some of your kids who are nearby and reach out through them to show love and grace and compassion and help. And God, as, as opportunities present themselves, would you help us to be open to being used by you in that same way so that your love and your grace can flow through us into the lives of the people around us? Thank you, God, that as we enter into this uh, hour of worship, as we bring with us all of our anxieties and fears and frustrations and hurts and everything else, God, we, we, we bring these things into this time and we offer them all to you. We open our hearts and minds and lives up to you because you are the one ultimately who's going to help us. You are the one who's going to heal us. You're the one who's going to guide us. You're the one who's going to strengthen us. Our trust is in you, God. Thank you. Thank you for proving yourself trustworthy, for being faithful with your love. Grant us today that peace that comes from knowing that the God who made us loves us and is with us. We will give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's take a minute, look around, find somebody that you haven't, uh, haven't waved at in at least a week, and give them a wave, a flash on the peace or something, you know, peace sign. I don't know. Uh, one of these days, we'll be able to greet each other. We'll be able to walk around the room and give hugs, and this can be the, the usual, like, two- or three-minute uh, exploration of friendship that it normally is. Thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you, Svelbar family, for, uh, for leading us this morning. We are grateful, and uh, we are glad to have you here. Uh, this is an example of what happens when people use their gifts that God has given, when they offer them up and uh, for the good of those around them. And uh, if there is something that you would like to offer, if you have a gift or something, uh, uh, some way that God has been good to you and you feel like, hey, I could offer this to others, let us know. If, if we're not already helping you to do that, let us know. Uh, one way that uh, if you're online or if you're present with us that you can connect with us is to, is to go to livinghope.info slash connect card, fill that thing out. Let us know. Say, hey, this is something that I would love to do for others. Um, this is a gift that God's given me. Or maybe you've got a need right now and there's some way that we could be coming alongside you. Let us know that. Uh, let us help. Let us, uh, let us pray for you. Let us come alongside to serve you uh, however we can. Um, I'm always grateful when I get those phone calls and somebody's saying, hey, uh, and usually there's a little sheepishness about it. There doesn't need to be. Usually there's a little sheepishness. Someone's saying, oh, I hate to ask for help, but... And then they describe what's going on in their life, and can you help, or can the church help? And, and thankfully, um, most of the time, we are able to help, uh, in part because some of you uh, continue to give generously. Uh, you can give online at livinghope.info slash give. You can, uh, you can, if you're here in the room, you can drop it in the offering box. Thank you for your continued support of the work of this church, the work that Christ is doing here and around the world. Uh, we are grateful, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that there are resources in, in the church account in the, in the Acts 4 fund that uh, we can say to people, yes, oh, there is, there is money. We can help. Let us, let us come alongside you because some of your generous brothers and sisters in the church have made sure that there are resources available. Um, all right, so uh, there are probably other things that we could be announcing, talking about, but uh, uh, I want us to get, go ahead and dive into the message this morning. Um, 
I think, can we switch that other camera real quick? I think you can, uh, yeah, there. hi everybody. Uh, <laughs> I figured you could see me a little bit better. Uh, if we, got, we got a second camera now, so we can get a little bit closer and, and we can also see everybody on stage when we need to. Uh, we're still experimenting with this stuff. We're still trying things out. If there's something that doesn't go quite right, uh, we thank you for being gracious with us, but also would you please let us know. Every now and then we push the wrong button, we don't realize it, and uh, it takes us a minute to correct something. Um, so, but we're very open to feedback. Uh, you know, at this present time, the, the majority of our church is worshiping with us online. Um, you can't see the room, those of you who are online. And so sometimes I, I know I've talked to you and it's like, well, we, we don't know if anybody's out there or if there's 100 people out there or 10 people out there. And it's closer to 10, all right, just so you know. Uh, most of us still are worshiping online, and that's a good thing. I mean, frankly, I am totally fine with that. Um, there are pastors who are out there saying like, oh, we got to just trust God and God will protect you and all that. And then you read about them in the news a couple of days later, you know, how people caught this virus because someone came who shouldn't have, who was sick, and maybe they didn't even realize it, and they ended up spreading the virus to vulnerable folks. So if you have any hesitations, it's okay. Uh, continue to worship with us from home. And um, those of you who are here, we continue to mask up as we come and go. And, and some of you I've seen will continue to wear masks during the service sometimes. Many of you take them off uh, because we're, we're seated well far away from each other in here. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, the message. Sorry. Uh, got distracted there for a second. Uh, we're talking about politics. So fun times. Please don't turn off the, uh, the thing. All right. Um, I'll see if you guys walk out. I won't see if they just click over to, oop, nope, don't want to hear about politics. All right. Uh, uh, we kind of started this conversation last week. We didn't dive totally into politics exactly, but we talked about how to love people you disagree with, which is hugely important as we enter into this political season. Uh, every four years, I end up sharing some version of this, these messages, uh, trying to help us understand that, you know what, good and thoughtful Christians disagree about politics. That's just the way it is. And some of you tell me, you know, like every time you talk to that relative or every time you bump into that friend, you know the conversation. If politics comes up, and sometimes they love to bring it up, you're trying to avoid it, but they bring it up, and you know like, oh, man, what am I supposed to do with this now? So we talked last week. If you missed it, you can watch it online. You can catch it on the podcast. You can, uh, you can follow along with uh, how to love those folks and how to try to disagree agreeably. The, one of the, we looked at Romans chapter 12. And I think it's verse 18 where he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. All right. It, if it, oh, sorry. He starts, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's the verse from the Bible, which I find encouraging because like he's acknowledging, look, sometimes it's just impossible. Sometimes there are people that will just not let you live at peace with them. And I've talked with some of you who you've told me, you know what? I feel like I just got to keep my distance from them for a while, at least till after November, you know, and uh, maybe you do. Maybe that is the part that depends on you to try to live at peace with them is to not bump into them as often and, uh, and to make sure that when you do, you look for the good things about them. You look for ways that you can, something you can appreciate, something positive. You can, uh, you can tell them about themselves to, to let them know that you love them and care about them, even though you don't want to talk about politics with them. All right. Uh, today, um, I guess I just, I've got a couple of questions and then five suggestions for us as we enter into this political season um, that I think will be helpful for us. If we're going to live as Christians at this time, if we're going to follow Jesus through this political season, um, uh, I think these will help us to do that well in a way that honors God and a way that reflects the love and grace of Christ to each other. Now, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about how it's possible that good, thoughtful Christians can disagree about politics, all right? And uh, I think I mentioned this last week, but for me, this is, this is like... Uh, this is a testimony to God's faithfulness and God's mercy and grace. Uh, because there was a time in my life where I, that idea uh, that good, thoughtful Christians can disagree on politics, I would have thought, Are you, no, no, they can't. What are you talking about? No, any good and thoughtful Christian is going to vote for 
these folks, you know, not those. How could any good and thoughtful Christian vote for those people, for that party, for that politician? And uh, it's taken God working hard to get me to the place where I've been able to acknowledge and to recognize that, you know what? No, those, the people on the other side of that political line, some of them are good and thoughtful Christians who have arrived at their conclusions for reasons that uh, it's because of their faith in God that's led them to vote the way that they do. And I know that some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, uh, we've got, no matter what side of the big political divide we're on, some of you are thinking like, I just don't see how that's possible. You know, uh, some of you who are lean Democratic are saying, I, I don't know how any Christian could vote for a Republican or for, especially for Donald Trump this November. Some of you who lean Republican are saying, there's no way I could vote for those, those godless Democrats, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and so I know that that's a struggle. We're going to talk about that next week, all right? This week, like I said, I've got a couple of questions that I hope, hope will be helpful to us and then some suggestions to try, to try to be on the positive side of this, all right? To try to help us through. Uh, I do think part of the difficulty, of course, is that uh, the political situation we find ourselves in today is so incredibly different than the situation that the early Christians found themselves in and that Jesus found himself in. So the people who are writing the Bible, they didn't live in a participatory democracy, you know, a democratic republic. They didn't live in, a, in an environment where the people who were in charge politically cared one bit about what they had to say, about what they, what they wanted. Um, you know, Rome didn't survey people and say, like, how would you like us to treat you when we come in with our armies to conquer you? You know, they, they just came in, they brought, they brought peace by military might, and they smashed all opposition, and they established Roman authority. And, uh, and if you, now that, now that you lived under their authority, you just had to try to figure out a way to do that well, I guess, to survive it. Uh, and so much of the, the Bible is written to people living in that kind of an environment, trying to say, okay, so how do you live as a faithful follower of Jesus given these constraints, given the environment that we're in? And thankfully, Christianity over the years has flourished no matter what political environment we find ourselves in. People have followed Jesus under, under communist dictatorships. Uh, uh, obviously, people have followed Christ in uh, democratic republics. And it doesn't matter what nation on the earth, uh, majority Muslim countries, Christians have found ways to, to, to worship, even, even in places where it's illegal, um, Christians have found a way to, to thrive, to follow Jesus, to be faithful to him. We, we have it pretty easy here. Uh, but we do have to think about, okay, so what, what can I do? What, what, how do I live now that I am in this place where I get to participate, where I get to have some say? And um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, I do, personally, I encourage you to, to vote. I encourage you to participate. And there are all kinds of ways to participate politically, not just voting. Uh, not, you don't have to wait till November. Uh, there were people, there was a school board meeting just this last week. I was reading online. A lot of my friends uh, here in Valpo showed up at a Valpo school board meeting to express some of their concerns and, and to uh, urge the school board to make certain decisions as they move their way forward. That's being involved politically. It's being involved in our shared life together. That's all that politics is. Sometimes we hear politics and we think of like divided partisanship. You know, we think politics means I'm slinging mud or I'm demonizing my opponents or something like that. Uh, it's trying to win a political battle and it, it doesn't have to be that way. That's not all that, that politics means. So how do we, how do we engage in it? Okay, the two questions. Let me get to it. The first question is, um, it's a simple question, but it, I think it, well, are you a Christian first or are you an American first? Or you could put in, instead of American, you could say I'm a Republican first or a Democrat first or a Libertarian first or whatever it might be. Um, is your primary identity that of a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, I hope that it is. Uh, that's what Jesus calls us to. He wants us to have our primary allegiance, that our, um, 
Our faith in Christ so defines us that this new life that we have in Jesus so, so radically changes who we are and how we see ourselves. That, that is the primary source of our identity. And I, I need to apologize real quick. I had uh, all the notes in to go on the screens in here and on the live stream. And we're having some technical difficulties with the software we use. It crashed on me again twice this morning. I thought I had it all figured out how to do it and keep it from crashing. But uh, nope. So I'll be back to the customer support people tomorrow uh, saying, okay, I did it again. And, and how, do we, how do we solve this? So I apologize. You just got to pay attention to, to what I say, and you're not going to be able to have something in front of you or on the screens to follow along. I, I, you know, first question, are you a Christian first or an American first? It was going to be right there on the screen. Um, let me read you a couple of scriptures that, again, you're just going to have to listen to. Sorry. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, uh, the Apostle Paul says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Uh, he's playing right into Roman citizenship language with this. And we've talked about this before, that uh, the people in Philippi that he's writing to, they knew what it meant to be Roman citizens outside of Rome. You know, Rome was hundreds of miles away, the capital city. But you could live in Philippi. It was a Roman outpost. And so they knew what it meant. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen living here in Philippi. My citizenship is over there. And the, the idea wasn't that one day I'll, we'll all migrate and move to Rome. No, it was like the opposite idea. Uh, they didn't want them to all move back to Rome. That's why they established a Roman colony in Philippi. So all these Roman soldiers after the war was ended would have a place to live and wouldn't go flooding the capital city. Uh, and that's similar to how we live today. We live here on earth, here in Valparaiso, Indiana, for those of us, in the Valparaiso area at least. And, uh, but we are citizens of heaven. And it's not that we are looking forward to someday leaving this place and going off to heaven. It's, as he said, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. If war broke out in Philippi, if the anti-Roman forces, you know, if some neighbors were to come in and try to, to overthrow them, they would be eagerly anticipating Caesar and his troops to, to show up, to come from Rome, to rescue them, to be their savior. And he's saying that's what we are waiting for. As we live here as citizens of heaven, we are looking forward to Christ returning someday and making all things new, as we just sang about. He's doing it, and one day he will do it. He will bring that to completion. In Galatians, his letter to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 28, he says, look, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so he's trying to say that what I was saying earlier, our primary identity is, in, is found in Jesus Christ. It's not in our, our ethnic background or our socioeconomic status or even our gender. Our, our primary identity is found as I am I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He has grabbed a hold of me. He has adopted me into God's family. Uh, I, my life has been transformed by him. That's who I am first and foremost. And so a lot of what the Apostle Paul was doing was trying to help people learn how to get along across all these differences. Today, if you were standing here, you might, you might say, look, there's no Republicans and Democrats. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So learn how to get along. Uh, the Apostle Peter said in his uh, first letter, chapter 2, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that war against your very souls. It's kind of like what we talked about last week, Romans chapter 12, where he says, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't conform to the pattern of the world around you. And so he picks up that idea. It's like, look, I'm, I'm here, but I'm, I'm only kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a foreigner. My citizenship is somewhere else. You know, I'm living here, but I don't belong here necessarily. It says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. It says, you've got a whole world watching. People who aren't yet citizens of heaven, people who right now, their primary identity is found in something else. And he says, you've got to live your life in such a way 
that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll, they'll see how foolish that is because they can look at your life and they can see, oh no, this is a good person. This is a person who refuses to lie about somebody to, to win a political argument. This is a person who refuses to let anger get the best of them. Uh, this is somebody who continues to love in spite of difference. They'll give honor to God because of the way that you live. Or in another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So if I'm a Christian first, if that's the main, my main source of identity, if that then shapes everything else, I can live as Christ's ambassador here in the world. Which leads to a second question. Am I representing Christ well? Including in my political conversations. Am I representing Christ well? It was, uh, hmm. uh, I'm thinking back to past election seasons and, and interactions with friends on Facebook. And there was a friend from college uh, that had said something, uh, I think it was four years ago maybe, um, where he just said, look, if I make some political comment that's putting down the other side, that shows that, I'm, you know, that I care more about winning an argument than, about, than I do about this other person, than I do, than I, than I do about whether what I say is true or not, you know, I, we've all talk to folks, maybe have been those folks that say, well, I don't care if it's true, those people are evil, you know, and we need to get rid of them. Um, so even if it's not true, it's the kind of thing they would say, you know, even if they didn't really say it. Well, if people see us saying that kind of thing, and then six months from now, a year from now, then we're trying to, or in the very next breath sometimes, if we're trying to talk to them about Jesus, do you think they're going to be more likely or less likely to want to listen to us or have a conversation with us about that? Am I representing Christ well in my political conversations? In Ephesians chapter 4, some real uh, down-to-earth stuff that he says to these guys. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. That could just be the whole thing right there. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So you're not cutting down, but you're, you're building up. He says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Slander, right? That's, that's when you say things about others that isn't, that isn't true. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Some of us need to hear that as we think about the ways that we talk about politics uh, today and in the days to come, because there is just no escaping it. This is the world that we live in, right? Uh, here in the United States of America, politics is heated, it is polarized, and if we are going to represent Christ well, we've got to listen to what, what the Holy Spirit says to us through the scriptures about how we engage in these conversations. So again, those two questions, are you a Christian first or an American first or a Republican first or Democrat first, whatever? Is Christ your primary identity? And am I representing Christ well then? in my conversations, including conversations about politics. So what does God call us to do then as, as dual citizens here? Uh, we're citizens of, of heaven, of God's kingdom, and we are citizens of the United States of America. I'm so thankful that we live in the system that we do, where we get to have a say, we get to have a voice, uh, we get to, to speak up, and we get to vote. What does God call us to do? Uh, well, there are at least five things I see in the scriptures that I think are pretty plain, things that we can do, that we're called to do. I'll call them suggestions because that's a little gentler. I'm not going to call them command to say you must, but these are things that the Bible, Jesus might say they're commands, all right? But you, you listen to him, not to me. All right. First, we're called to pray for our political leaders. 
I hope we can all agree that that's a good thing to do. Your prayers not, might not be kind, uh, what you're praying for them, uh, but pray for your political leaders. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, the Apostle Paul writes, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, which probably wasn't an easy thing for them to do because kings sometimes in that day were not being kind to Christians, right? They weren't necessarily making decisions that the Christians liked. So, but pray in this way, you know, asking God to help them, interceding on their behalf, even giving thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. You know, pray for those who lead so that we can have peace, so that we won't have to live in the midst of war, so that we don't have to worry about whether we can or can't uh, live the way God calls us to live. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. He says, so there are, there are things that our political leaders can do that will help make that easier. Let's pray for our political leaders. I'll confess, I don't do this often enough. I forget it just doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's not at the top of my mind. So I need to hear this today. I need to be reminded of this, that when I think of our political leaders, whether I'm thinking about our governor or our president or the people who lead in the Senate and the Congress and all those kinds of, I need to remember, uh, no matter whether my thoughts about them are good or bad, I need to be, remind, I need to be rem- reminded in that moment, okay, God, would you please bless them? Would you please, would you please help them? Would you give them wisdom? Would you help them to lead well? Second suggestion, we are called to respect our political leaders. If you thought the first one was hard, this one you might find even harder. All right, but uh, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of the state or the officials he's appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. He's saying they've got a role to play and, and we are supposed to submit to them. Now, this doesn't mean there's not a time to protest. It doesn't mean there's not a time to speak up and say, whoa, whoa, that's not right. You know, we live in America. Our, our history is one of, of protest, of standing up and saying, we declare that you are not leading us well, and we're going to be independent. We're going to do our own thing. He's saying, look, there are, you need to, and then if you protest, you have to be willing to take the consequences of that. He's saying, look, you submit to all human authority. He says, it is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. He's saying even if you disagree, you need to respect them because of the office they hold, because of the responsibilities that they have. And I'll, I'll be honest, there are times that this is difficult for me, but then I think, boy, I'm so glad I don't have that job. I'm so glad I'm not trying to lead a country like this. I'm so glad I'm not trying to represent a whole big constituency, diverse constituency in, in Congress. I'm glad I'm not, I'm not, glad I'm not even mayor of this town. You know, I wouldn't want that job. So we need to respect them for the hard work that they do and pray for them. Pray for them. This is what God calls us to do. Pray for them. Respect them. Number three, uh, we're called to work for the good of our nation. Now this I'm going to reach all the way back into the Old Testament. The prophet Jeremiah, when the people of Israel were, were uh, exiles in Babylon, they had been conquered, yet again, this time by the Babylonians. They'd been hauled off to exile. And, um, and God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says to them, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. It says, if, it, if things go well for where you live, then you will benefit as well. Which is kind of like us, you know, like we, we want... 
Uh, we want things to go well politically. We want things to go well as a, economically because that benefits all of us. So he's saying work for the good. P- work for the peace and prosperity of that city, for the flourishing of the place where you, where you are. It's not where you want to be, maybe. You're in exile, but pray for the city, for its welfare. will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Sometimes we read that last part and we think, okay, good, God's only going to let good things happen to me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying in the midst of the struggle, uh, he said, look, God has good plans. He's leading us in a good direction. It might take 70 more years. It might be a long-term project here. But God is faithful. He is working for our good. And so in the meantime, right where we are, he says, you should work for the good of the place where you live. And to me, that means getting involved politically, letting your voice be heard, not just for what it, what it can get for you, but for what it can do for all of us. If we're Christians, if we're, if we're following in the way of Jesus, then that means that, uh, well, I was just listening, uh, Andy Stanley is one of those pastors I like to listen to, and um, he, just this last Sunday, I think his message was... Uh, Something about being in it to win it and how Jesus wasn't. Jesus, Jesus didn't live his life looking out for himself. But instead, you remember what he said? He said, the Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came for the sake of others. And he sends us out just as, just as I was sending. He said, I'm, I'm sending you. And so as we work for the good of our city, of our state, of our nation, as we get engaged in all the different ways that, of civic engagement, all the ways that we can engage with our neighbors, um, we do it not just to benefit ourselves. We do it to benefit those around us who, who struggle. Now, again, next week we'll talk about how Christians can even disagree about that. Like, okay, so we want to do what's best for the poor. So do these policies, do those lift up the poor the best? Or do these policies lift up the poor for the best? We'll talk about that some next week. But regardless, we're, we're not called to just kind of sit back and say, well, whatever. It's all going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just going to sit over here while you guys figure it out. No, we're called to, to work for the good of where we live. And number four. We're called to disagree agreeably. This is a lot of what we talked about last week. Um, and so, again, if you struggle with this, you might want to listen to that message. But I've just got three other scriptures uh, outside of Romans 12 that we looked at last week. In James chapter 1, it says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. Uh, it's easy for me to say. I'm up here talking this whole time. Uh, and you guys are doing an excellent job of listening. Uh, but that doesn't always happen, does it? When we are talking, when we're in conversation, he's saying, look, you got to be quick to listen. Make listening your first priority. I want to hear this person. I want to understand. I'm pretty sure I know where they're going just from the first couple of sentences. But instead of getting my hackles up and preparing for a fight, let me, let me, let me listen first. Instead of already starting to get angry before I've even heard they had to say, let me, let me listen. Let me try to see things from their perspective. Let me be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Because getting angry and, and up in the temperature of this conversation, that does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't help us to represent Christ well in our conversations. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. He says, you could swallow each other up. You could bite and consume. I've got images of like zombie movies and stuff in my head right now. Uh, He said, it could get ugly like that, or we could be a people who decide, no, we're going to love other people. And this, again, is where it's difficult to follow in the way of Jesus because Jesus loved those even who, who weren't loving him. 
And we are called to love even our enemies, to, to love people who they might be biting at us and sniping at us and, and trolling our Facebook page and, and trying to get us angry or whatever. We are called to love. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, A servant of the Lord must not argue. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, teachable, willing to suffer wrong, and gentle in refuting his opponents. So I, I love the way that began and ended. It said, look, you can't argue, but there are going to be times you're going to be refuting people. <laughs> there are going to be times you're going to be pointing out to people like, yeah, I don't think that's right. But we have to be gentle in the way we do it. We don't, we don't get that angry thing going uh, and arguing about it. We have to be kind, teachable, understanding. I don't know everything. We talked about this last week again. Willing even to suffer wrong. Being gentle in refuting opponents. So we're called to disagree agreeably. So again, we're called to pray for our political leaders, to respect our political leaders, to work, to engage, to work for the good of our nation, of our state, of our city. We're called to disagree agreeably. And the last one, I feel like this is the most important. I feel like this is what drives all the rest. We're called to bring God's transforming love to our world. This is what we're called to do as Christians. If the others were suggestions, this one is certainly not. (laughs) This is a command that God is bringing his transforming love to our world, and we are a part of it. I mentioned this earlier in John chapter 17. uh, As Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He says, Father, I'm not asking you to take my followers and just remove them from danger, remove them from this world that is trying to, you know, squeeze them into its mold, is trying to get them to just uh, return evil for evil and to, to dive into the mud and sling it at each other and to, and to lie about each other and slander each other and do all the stuff that so often happens in political conversations. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one, to protect them from getting sucked into all that. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are sent as ambassadors of Christ, as citizens of God's kingdom. We are sent into these political situations, into these conversations that can get so heated and so ugly. And we are sent to be something different. We are sent to show a different way. We are sent into these scenarios to show that, no, 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 what God wants for us is 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 to be kind. What God wants for us is to, is to listen to each other. What God wants for us is to respect each other and to pray for each other. And yes, to disagree, but to do it in a way that, that shows that I care about you more than I care about winning this argument. That I'm working for the good, for your good as well as my own. <laughs> I'm working for the good of all of us. As Jesus was sent into the world, we are sent into the world to let his light shine through. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 5, right? He said, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt? It's lost its flavor. You make it salty again, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He's saying we can, he's calling us the salt of the earth, but he's saying, but you gotta be salty. You gotta, you gotta be who you are. You can't just be like all the dirt you're surrounded by. That's, that's what happened with salt in those days. If it lost its saltiness, it's because it got all diluted by the sand or the dirt or whatever else it was mixed in with. He said, as you mix it up with the people around you, you've got to stay salty. And he says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. You don't hide the, the good that God wants to do through you. No. He says, instead, a lamp's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let, let the transformation that God has brought to your life, live it out in public. Live, live who you are. Care about people. Be compassionate to people. Be patient with people. Be kind. All those fruit of the Spirit we were talking about a couple weeks ago. This is what we're called to do. To bring God's transforming love to our world. Not by our own effort. It's not like we're just making this happen. Again, just like Jesus was sent into the world. And Jesus said, look, I'm just doing what, what my Heavenly Father is doing. I'm just following the Holy Spirit's lead. I'm just doing, my Heavenly Father says, go, and I go. He says, you know, talk to that person, I talk to that person. He says, heal that person, I heal that person. He said, we're just following God's lead. God is the one who's leading us into these opportunities, in, even into them, these difficult conversations. Because maybe God knows that person is, is going to get sucked down the drain of this ugly political stuff if we're not there to help change the course, if we're not there to help steer the conversation in a healthier direction, if we're not there to help them see that like, not everybody thinks that way, not everybody uh, engages in that way. Am I a Christian first? And am I representing Christ well in my conversations, including my political conversations? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we need your help to do this well. But we're grateful uh, that you're willing to work with ordinary messed up people like us, that you're willing to, to have us on the team, to engage us in your service, to engage us in your work of bringing your transforming love and grace to our world, of bringing your light to very dark places. God, some of us feel like we are in that darkness. Some of us feel right now like, like it's overwhelming us and so, God, I pray that you would just flood our hearts with your light, with your life, with your hope today. That you can help us to, to have a, a healthier perspective on what is going on all around us. That we won't get sucked into uh, the way the world wants to have these conversations. But that instead, we can live as citizens of your kingdom. Instead, we can live as your people in the midst of a world that thinks it's all about all about us, all about winning. But instead, God, you can, you can use us to help people see there's a better way. Thank you, God. Thank you for forgiving us when we have messed this thing up. You, you know, God, none of us, myself included, none of us have done this thing right the whole way through. We, all of us, depend on your grace and your mercy, and we are so grateful that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. Thank you, God. Thank you that today we can come to you. And maybe, maybe what's weighing on our hearts right now is how we've engaged in political conversations, or maybe what's weighing on our hearts right now is something totally different. But right now, God, for, for those of us who are feeling our hearts uh, squeezed by your Holy Spirit, as you are pointing out to us, that like, oh, man, I have not been living in a way that honors Christ. I have not been living in a way that, that recognizes that God is the one who's given me life, that, that I should be living my life for him, uh, not for myself. And God, there might be some of us you are pointing some things out to right now. God, we thank you for doing that. Thank you for not just leaving us on a path that leads to our destruction and the destruction of the lives around us. Thank you instead for reaching out to us by your Holy Spirit today so that we can have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. Please, would you forgive my sins? Would you forgive my selfishness? Would you forgive my failures? 
God, today I pray you'd help us to, to put our trust in you, to say yes to you, to accept your grace and your forgiveness, to let you wash us and make us clean, to let us have that experience of the God of the universe coming to us and embracing us and your compassion and your love. Thank you, God. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for the transforming work of your spirit that you truly do change us. So God, would you change the ways that we engage in conversations this week and in the weeks to come? Uh, would, you, would you help us to be your agents of change, your agents of transformation, your ambassadors, Lord Jesus? That we can show a different way, a different way to live, a different way to converse, a different way to love. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to get on a new path right here and right now. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? I think we've got it. Can we get it up there? Somewhere? There we go. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, thank you uh, for the love that you have shown us and the love that you invite us then to display to the world around us. Thank you that you have shown us this love so concretely in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Now today we are thankful for the opportunity to celebrate this sacrament together as we offer to you gifts of bread and juice. God, we pray that by your spirit's presence here, we might meet our risen savior in his body and in his blood. We offer you ourselves, God, and we pray that your spirit would be at work within us, that you would do your transforming work in us too, that we might be for the world, the body of Christ. And we might live in a way that reflects your grace and your love to those around us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he uh, was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And, and uh, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you when you eat this. Uh, do it in remembrance of me. So you may take and eat bread. And after the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave it to them. He said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood, the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Lord Jesus, just as this bread and this juice has made you present to us again here and now, just as you have touched us in a, in a very real, tangible, uh, tasteable way, God, we, we pray that your grace and your love would flow through us, uh, that you would be present to the world through us. 
that your love would be experienced by those around us because they experience it in us. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Will the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.